As a freelance copywriter, it's easy to sit back a bit and wait for clients to find you. Or if you're already working with a client, it can be easy to let the client lead a project and take control of calls. After all, it's their business and you're just there to help with the copy, right? Hi, I'm Rob Marsh. And I'm Kira Hug, and we are the founders and hosts of the Copywriter Club podcast. Our guest for today's episode is copywriter Caitlin Collins. In, in this discussion with Caitlin, we kept coming back to the theme of decisiveness, taking action and control, not only of projects, but of your career and life. Sometimes that means throwing the rules out the door, and other times that means changing things that don't work for you anymore. And as you'll hear, Caitlin has created a business that supports the lifestyle and the work style that she wants by doing those kinds of things. What she shares about taking action is something that we can all get better at. But before we dive into this incredible episode, I just want to share that Copywriter Accelerator is coming up fast. In fact, we're opening the doors to the program for just a few days. So if you are interested in learning more about this program, check out thecopywriteraccelerator.com. And now is a great time to jump in to this program because if you haven't heard us talk about it already, so much has changed over the last, just the last year with developments in AI and it's a great opportunity to just pause and reflect and think about how your business could look moving forward. And maybe that means rethinking your own positioning. And maybe it means creating a new signature package and rethinking the processes and what tools you can use in your processes and how you can market yourself and how you can find clients and how to brand yourself because Branding is more important than ever. I've always been a fan of branding, but now to build that trust, uh, especially as content, AI-generated content um, really explodes, your brand is more important than ever. And we cover all of that in the Copywriter Accelerator program. And if this is a time for you to really think differently about what you're offering and build your business from the ground up or even rebuild it if you've hit a plateau Jump in with us and check it out at thecopywriteraccelerator.com. Okay, let's kick off our episode with Caitlin. It's a long, windy story, but I do think it was rather interesting at every turn, if I don't say so myself. Um, I'll try, if I'm long-winded, just cut me off or say on to the next, but it was not traditional. Um, I did not take any like marketing courses in college. I did not um, major in communications or English, but I was always the writer. Like I was the kid in fourth grade who was going up for more paper when we were writing our Halloween stories because I just had like more vivid detail, like come in, coming. And it was like, you know, 10 pages of something while the other kids had one. Um, and so writing was just always a thing that I was good at. And I had my major was in theater. So playwriting was a piece of that. A lot of the theater stuff translates into what I do now. That's a conversation for another time. Um, but yeah, I had my degree in theater, but somehow found myself in people's marketing departments, not always doing things well or knowing what I was doing, but I was in the marketing, de marketing department. 
um, in our art center in college as my work study. So that's where I learned get butts and seats. And we were just trying to fill our theater shows, our music shows, our art exhibits. And then when I came to New York 13 years ago, I landed in this course by Dallas Travers, who now she is a successful coach. And so she's got online courses and all that stuff. But I was in one of her original ones called the Actors Business Blueprint. And I was learning to market myself as an actor. But what I didn't realize at the time was she was helping turn me on to what I really loved, which was email marketing. And so as I'm trying to you know, market myself to agents or any theater contacts I had, I started realizing what I loved the most was what Dallas was teaching me with social media and what I was doing on Twitter. And I started my own weekly newsletter. And this was before those were even a thing. And you were getting people to like write with like pen and, and pencil, like what their email address was to get on it. But, um, but yeah, so that started turning on the marketing thing. At the time, I was receptionist at a gym in Swanky Soho area in New York City. Which gym? With, it was called Drive 495, and Don Saladino was this uh, celebrity trainer, and he was the owner of it. So, you know, the receptionist position turned into, hey, can you run our social media? Oh, hey, there's social media conferences. Like, go that, learn stuff, bring it back. Like, I wrote my first funnel at this gym. Again, really guessing my way through it slash using just one resource, one little course to kind of help me with it. Um, but yeah, so that's how I was in the marketing department there. And, uh, you know, then on the side, I was always creative. So I created a protein bar, a raw food protein bar, and did this whole social media push with some Martha Stewart competition um, and was, you know, running a blog and a weekly newsletter to that. And yada, yada. I was like all over the place doing like marketing and funny creative endeavors. Um, but then I think it took a more serious turn when after the gym in 2016, I was hired as the in-house copywriter and head of communications at a company called Daybreaker. So we were an early morning sober dance party. It was an NYC startup. It was wild. Um, and we were throwing these parties around the world in 26 cities. And I was responsible for writing email market or email marketing, um, you know, social media captions and all that stuff. Our email list was 350,000. So it was very sweaty and scary and stressful pressing send on those first few. Um, but yeah, so that's where that started. I was there for two and a half years and... After that, I, you know, though it was a wild time, I learned a lot and I got to really hone my marketing chops and my writing chops. At the end of the day, it was a startup. We were in the office 12, 14 hour days. And though it was lovely and I loved the mission, I was like, all right, I got to go do my own thing. So I had been taking, I had been side hustling a little bit on the side. Um, and from there, once I left them, I went full time into freelance copywriting for online course creators, having had taken a course and stuff like that to just help me get my footing. And that's how all of that started. So long windy, but somehow I'm here today doing this. <laughs> yeah, uh, lots of stuff to ask about questions there too. Uh, 
I want I want to like think a little bit or talk a little bit about your uh, acting experience and theater experience because uh, this seems to be something that a lot of copywriters actually have in common. Um, there are a lot of teachers out there. There's a lot of people who have been through theater. Uh, it seems like there are a couple of niches or, or industries that sort of lend themselves to finding copywriting at some point. And so, uh, you know, question is like, what do you find from that theater degree that applies directly to copywriting? And how does that impact what you're doing today? Yeah. So there are a few things. Um, character analysis and like breaking down a scene of a play. So when we were studying a scene in theater, in every single moment, the character that you were playing had a super objective. And then sometimes they had micro objectives, but it was like, what do they want in that scene? And then in order to get it like part of our work, when I would break down a scene moment by moment was now here's my tactic to try to get my objective. And then the tactic is going to change like a few lines later. So it was always like, we've got this objective and we have all these tactics to get us there. So that's very similar to also how I think about sales emails now today is, you know, there's maybe this persuasion technique at play, but then it switches to this tactic. But you also don't want to have too many tactics or else it's like now it's like a crazy long sales email. But that idea of like, where is this going and having the copywriting just be to continue on through the end, like here, we're going to use this tactic and then shift to this, then shift to this. Then finally, we had our CTA that kind of translates in a little bit of a way. Um, Another one that's like been even more helpful and just like constant is knowing when you have to kind of kill your darlings when you're writing a sales email or a weekly newsletter or, or caption, really anything. Like where are you going into offshoots of stories that aren't necessary to the main point that you're trying to make? So cutting things that sound really good, that you really like, but they don't drive the message forward or they don't, don't do the job in making the sale, that process has also translated. There were so many things where my playwriting teacher would be like, is this moving the scene forward? And it's like, no, but it's so clever and so cute. <laughs> and, and I love this little bit about it, but it doesn't move the scene forward. It doesn't keep it trotting along. So we would have to just cut sections, kill our darlings. And I find myself also telling that to my students all the time. Like, this is just making this email superfluous. This could be an email in itself. Or like, you know, what is the through line? What is the streamlined singular thing we're doing in this Facebook ad? So that's another thing, like keeping writing on its action was what we, how we called it back in playwriting. Um, I don't know exactly what the term would be in copywriting to keeping it on its action, but if there's something similar there, I don't know if that makes sense. The way I explained it, you can let me know if not. Yeah, no, it definitely makes sense. I, I, maybe it's just moving that sales argument forward is, you know, what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but there's something about that through line that is really nice that you're talking about and, you know, how you really need that through line in a campaign, an email sequence. So I guess, do you have any examples of how it could go wrong or what to be careful of where, you're, you know, maybe it's questions you could ask yourself or any examples where you've made a mistake and it's like, I completely lost that through line. No wonder this isn't working. Yeah. Um, if I wasn't decisive, like I think... 
decisiveness is important for a copywriter. And what I mean by that is like sometimes like in our avatar work, it's like, okay, I can see my avatar being like this sort of person. And maybe from my voice of customer data collection, it's like this sort of person. And my client is saying it's this sort of person, but it can also kind of be that sort of person. And we can kind of start writing emails for one specific avatar because specificity is important and having a visual of who this person is that we're writing for is important. And if we start writing to them, but then kind of like veering off and writing to other like offshoots of that avatar, that can sometimes make it go wrong. And then now people are kind of confused at the end of the campaign, like who exactly is this for? Have we been trying to accidentally sell to everybody because we've been trying to hit maybe like four different offshoots of our avatar. So that's where like in a weird way, I guess it's less about the through line, but sort of like a through line. Like, are you at least writing to the same character the whole time through a sales campaign? It makes sense. Okay. I want to ask about the startup experience. Uh, you know, I, I look back fondly on the, you know, days that I spent in a startup and I'm not sure that I would go back, but it was, it was a good time. What did that experience teach you about copywriting specifically or marketing in, in particular? Yeah. The first thing that jumps to my head is I will write something and it's not going to be bad. I can't tell you how many times, especially with the fast paced environment, it was like, oh, hey, the CEO is launching a book and now you're in charge of all of her book promotion via email. So I'm like quickly looking at like, what is Michelle Obama doing? She was like launching her book at the time, like looking at other books, like book launches happening, looking at their emails and not having the proper training always to like get something done. Or, you know, we would be like, oh, we forgot Cyber Monday. Like we need to be sending out these emails because um, it wasn't always the most organized. Like it was beautiful. I have only good things to say about it, but sometimes we were disorganized and it was like, there was so much stuff going on that if you threw in any curveball, it was like, oh my gosh. So I'd find myself in those, position where, those positions where I would have my computer screen open and whether it was a mix of the stress or this surprise writing assignment or the time pressure, not knowing what to write. I just found myself looking at the screen so many times being in that position that I was able to build so many reference points for myself of times where I was in that comfortable, uncomfortable position before, but I got through it. I wrote something. It wasn't half bad. Maybe it even worked. And so I just knew that I would do it again, no matter how hopeless I felt sometimes in those high stress writing moments. So it really, that was the biggest thing. It showed me what I was capable of because the amount of deliverables were insane. The amount of things that everyone had to get done each day were insane. We were just like five or six of us in an HQ startup office and handling so much. We were handling partnerships with Nike, Tropicana, like we threw together a Nike partnership so quickly at one point, but we were always saying yes to stuff to like keep the business moving along. And our CEO was a dreamer. She was a visionary. So that was another thing I saw was an incredible example of someone who one day she's like putting her shoes on before she's getting ready to leave. And I forget what it was that we were talking about, but we had concerns. And she was like, 
we can do whatever the bleep we want. <laughs> and it was just this space of throwing all rules out the door and creating and having a big vision and doing it. Like the, the, the amount of times where my brain was just like blasted open, like we did what with the Country Music Awards? We, we did what? We got in a van and threw this crazy event and then got in a van, we're riding on our laptop the whole way and then did this other thing. Like we partnered with who? Like who's here in the office? Like it was, it was just wild and it was a great example of you can do everything. You just have to keep taking steps forward through the uncomfortable parts. So places where before my experience at Daybreaker, places where I would quit. So for example, maybe there was someone really cool I wanted to pitch to or work with, but it was too scary. So like those stopping points or things that felt too big, like launching my own food company, like I had that you know protein bar I made, I never was going to go through with it because there were those moments where things felt too big, too hard, too scary, not possible, no way. And I would stop. But here at Daybreaker, I saw an example of like, you don't die on the other side. Like you just like keep taking step forwards. And I just got to see examples of like, stuff that just blew my mind. People just dreaming big and then going out and doing it together and doing it with a smile, maybe a very tired smile, but they were doing it. And I don't think I could have gone freelance without that example in front of me. So I think my experience at the startup, I absolutely needed because now I'm like, I can do anything. I can picture it and then I can do it. You just keep taking steps forward towards it, despite the emotion, despite the challenge. Like You just walk towards it, period. And that's what that startup experience taught me. It was painful. It was stressful. My boss, my old boss will hear this and be like, really? <laughs> I thought you were miserable. Like I, it was tough, but I learned, I learned some really good things. Yeah. Nothing like a pressure cooker. To <laughs> so yeah. I, I worked for a couple startups and one of them sounds similar in some respects and, and just the idea dreaming big where the entrepreneur behind it was was the big dreamer and she could talk anybody into anything. And I got to witness it firsthand because I was like, I was not hired to be her secretary, but I ended up becoming her secretary and I had to make everything happen. Um, but she ended up being a sociopath. And I have no, mm. she won't ever listen to this and I don't care if she is. But this I is guess your devil wear, the Devil Wears Prada moment, Kara. This is it's amazing. You can write a movie about this. But I guess my question is, it doesn't sound like your entrepreneur, the dreamer, the visionary was a sociopath for this organization. But I, I think the question is, let me see if I can get this out. Is there a balance? Do you find now that you have your own business, is there a balance that you have found where we can be that dreamer and that idea creator, which we all are here, Rob and I are definitely that, but also like keep it grounded at times. Can we meet in the middle so we don't burn people out so we aren't exhausted? And is that possible? <laughs> what is your yeah. opinion on that? Yeah. Because though it's like I can have so much energy behind those words of like, if this is just what you want, just move forward. Right. I did like, I'm definitely not someone who's into grind, hustle. Like I did get caught up in that in a really negative way. So I absolutely have also taken from that, like, how can you do this, but with more peace and also knowing who 
you're affecting on the way up and the quality of their experience on the way up. So that is very much something that I think about, which means though the thing that you're going after might be up here and we want to keep taking steps forward towards it, I maybe not am going to be taking 50 steps towards it in a day like we did with our startup and doing whatever it took to take those 50 steps toward it. I'm not doing that. I think what I think is healthier is to maybe take two steps towards it each day and be okay with things taking time. So that is definitely something that I also did learn from there of, you know, along with what, what do I want to adopt from here? And then what would I definitely do differently? And there are definitely things to do differently. And I think that's also something to remember is like, don't ever get caught up in anything either. I had in my experience, whether it was there or in other experiences I had in New York, I had so many people I idolized and I put them on a pedestal and it took, and every single time I got up close, oh, I swatted them right off that pedestal. Cause yeah, you realize just because someone might have amazing ideas, it doesn't mean that they're always doing everything completely right. And this doesn't have to do with the startup. This just kind of sparked some other experiences. So remembering to, you know, take people off of their pedestals and still have your own wits about you and your gut instinct of how a way someone might be doing something. If it's like, I don't think this is totally right. You're right. Listen to that. And always have an opinion of like, okay, how could this go differently? So it's not feeling wild and crazy if the wild and crazy also hurts. Yeah. And sometimes it does. So, okay, I want to jump back into the life story uh, or, the, or the path to copywriting. You left that experience and started your own thing, but you immediately went to work for Course Creator. Did, you know, tell us about choosing that niche, why, and you know, like, did you choose other niches? Like, What was that process like as you launched into your own business? Yeah, so I was lucky. I had Course Creators on my radar. But kind of while they were on, I'll tell you how they got there, but also while they were on my radar, I did have an experience where I went to a psychic on 34th Street, Herald Square. I'm really into fun stuff like that. And as I was like, I need to leave my full-time job. Like I, I know I can become a freelance writer. Like I'm a writer. What do I do? What's your best advice? And she told me, take anything and everything, which I think there is a time and a place for that. And so that's what I did because action creates clarity. And for me, taking anything and everything, taking like a quick gig, someone else in New York City wanted me to come to their panels and they paid me $250 to come attend these panels where a bunch of startups and business owners would talk about a topic. And I had to, you know, create a deliverable at the end of it with a very fast turnaround time that sort of just took everyone's ideas and put it together in something digestible that they could share with the rest of their audience. So I took little gigs like that, you know, doing social media for some guy in fitness because I was in with a lot of the fitness world because of one of my previous jobs. So I took everything and anything, and that did help me decide what I hated and what I loved. Um, so that was good for a while. I think advice is good until it's not good anymore. And then when it was not good anymore was when I knew, hey, there's something with this course creator client. 
Um, and so I was lucky enough that towards my last year or so, while I was at my full time in the startup, I had a friend. And again, while I was doing anything and everything, um, this friend from childhood, she had a Facebook ad and Instagram ad agency that served strictly course creators. So that's when I was introduced to course creators. So while I was at the startup, I would come home and, you know, every couple of weeks, her name was Franny. Franny would hit me up and be like, hey, we need a copywriter to write a handful of ads. So usually between the hours of like 11 p.m. and 1 a.m., which I, again, hustle, don't, I don't love it. I don't do this anymore at all. But at the time, that's when I would kind of write for this Facebook ad agency. So I had a very slow education around like who they were, what their uh, course launches were like, what their sales pages looked like by just hanging around and getting these side gigs with Franny while I was at my full time. And that led me to be able to, by the time I actually did tell my full-time job that I was leaving, my little claim to fame that copywriters like to hear is I was able to secure over $15,000 worth of contracts um, for freelance writing gigs with online course creators. And that came because I was very privileged and lucky to have that Franny as a referral person and someone who was teaching me for kind of a whole year about the course creator world. You know, she had someone, a course creator in her network who needed someone. So I got a gig that way. And then the second gig, and that's the other thing, this $15,000 worth of contracts was only two clients. One was like a 10K, one was a 5K. Um, and we can go into why that makes sense later. But the other one was, you know, someone on Instagram saying they needed a copywriter. And I just responded to it. So I was able to secure that. Um, so that's kind of how I like launched into that. From there, I did keep my full-time job. I asked them to kind of renegotiate with me to kind of let me go as an employee and have them just be one of my clients. So I became a contractor. We changed a number of things around, took off a number of responsibilities. Um, and so I was able to just kind of like slowly pivot out that way. Um, but then from there, it just became course creator client, course creator client. And I just knew that was my niche. And at that time I had found, you know, Laura Bell Gray, Tarzan K, you guys, copy hackers, and it's like a lot of people talking about course creators. So I was like, all right, this is where it's at. <laughs> Yeah, and I definitely want to talk more about the course creator space, which I'm also a part of and just hearing where it is today. But first, I, I love what you said about advice. And these, basically, you said it works until it doesn't work. Are there any other moments you can pinpoint in your business journey where it was like, oh, yeah, that was great advice. And then it stopped working. You already shared one, but what other ones? Let me think. Um... I feel like it's almost, this might segue away a little bit, but it's almost like it's with advice, but it's also with anything. Like things work until they don't work and then it's time to pivot. Even if it's something as small as the way you set up your day as a freelance copywriter. Yeah. Like this is my day. This is my routine. And when it gets to the point where ah, this just feels awful or this just doesn't work for me or my priorities are starting to shift it doesn't work anymore. Um, 
I mean, I did have that also with burnout because I burned out at the startup. And then I did continue to then go off and burn myself out even more, (laughs) starting my own freelance business because I was saying yes to everything. And I didn't know how to say no because I was still like experiences, experiences, like saying yes to clients. Like I thought I could do everything. I had a really skewed version of what an appropriate workload looked like. And that also maybe came from the startup world too. Um, So I always felt like I could do everything, but in a negative way. And I would like push through it, push through it. And that definitely came to a point where just doing everything and anything to like get your freelance writing career going, you know, that helps maybe in the beginning to get some momentum, but then you have to be realistic and look at the big picture. What else do you want in life? Do you want friendships? Do you want a significant other? Do you want hobbies again? (laughs) I was all work for a very long time. So that advice, I guess, quote unquote, um, only went so far. And then it was time to, you know, change how I was doing things for sure. Can, can I ask about the change? What, you know, when you realize you're burning out or you're burned out or it's not working, like what was that process for you to say, okay, I've got to turn it around here so that I can start showing up. What did that look like for you? Um, it took convincing myself that I was safe to let something go. Cause I had, you know, a full-time income with my private clients, but I wouldn't let go of, you know, that Facebook ad agency that I was working with. So I had, you know, grown with them. I had moved from copywriter to creative director part-time and I was still piling that off of a fully firing, you know, client roster of my own. And it was just one of those things where I was just waiting for the time to be right to, you know, say, Hey, I'm going to let you guys go. Everything's going really great over here. And I just thought that that magic day would come where it would feel quote unquote right. And it didn't. And I just finally had to like force myself to do it and just trust that it was the right decision. And I would be able to have more balance. I would be able to grow my business in the way that I wanted to grow it. Um, So not wait, like my big realization there was that I often you can do stuff a little sooner then maybe you think you should, or the timing is not always going to be this perfect. And now the universe pushes you out of that and into this sort of thing. Sometimes it's just decisiveness. And I know that it makes financial sense to let this go. I can let this go. And so I should have let it go sooner for sure. So talking about burnout, um, what did that look like for you? How do you recover from that? I know it's different for everyone. And even just what are you keep an eye on today so that you can hopefully avoid it? So I'm in a weird place today where like my brain or my body, whether it's because of habit now that I just don't overwork anymore, it literally can't push itself past like even six hours or so, which is Oh, story in itself too, where I feel like I spent a lot of time going to the opposite end of the spectrum. But burnout for me back then just looked like, I mean, I was constantly working. I only had work. Um, I, I don't know. In the beginning, there was like a pride and a momentum and a fun behind just working. I'm very black or white. I'm very, 
all in. Um, and this is old me. I have shifted since then. But that was my norm back then. So burnout for me just looked like pushing myself so hard I never made deadlines anymore and having to coach myself through coping with the fact that I was going to disappoint someone potentially or have to deliver bad news and do it so often that I became numb to deadlines, which thank God my clients loved me, but it was lots of, hey, I need some more time on this. Um, or, hey, you're going to expect this, you know, at this new date instead. So you're getting all my copywriter dirt, like <laughs> the darkness from like what I'm not proud of and what I know exactly how to teach people not to do those things. But I was doing those things. And there were times where I would just go right in and just refund someone instead of getting something done because I had that much work. And I was working till, you know, 10, 11 again. Like I went and I had started in the morning at nine, working till 10 or 11. I just had nothing else that I felt was a priority. If people wanted to go to dinner with me, it was like, how dare you ask? No, I'll be working. Like I can't make it. Like I just, you know, and yeah, so friendship suffered and, um, you know, I never dated or anything like that. Gosh, I didn't want the conversation to go here. I'm a pretty positive person, but yeah, like burnout is, is, is bad. And it was, it was just all I did. My, when I would go home, um, on, you know, quote unquote vacation, but I'd work the whole time. Or I did do that whole digital nomad thing. If you look at my Instagram, it looks like, oh, how cool. She was working as a freelance copywriter. She was in Bali, but I was in the co-working space the entire time. And um, when I would finally meet up with people, I had this perpetual, my eyes felt almost like they were spinning or like my head was always buzzing. And that happened for over a year, probably. And I had chest pains back at the startup for over a year. I went to the doctor. I went to the emergency room to check out what that was, and they could never tell me and just say, you must be anxious. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that's what burnout looked to me. And then I went in the opposite direction for a while and just, like, fell in the swamp of, like, ugh, like just getting by and doing the bare minimum with um, just the repeat clients that I had. I was lucky enough where I had, you know, the same three clients hitting me up for work all throughout a year um, and then the following year doing it again. So, uh, yeah, but I was really just kind of just doing the bare minimum after burnout, but it was still good enough because it was in the course creator world, I guess, and the rates were good and I didn't need a ton of projects to make what I needed to make. All right, let's jump in and underline a few things that Caitlin was talking about. Kira, you start. What jumped out to you? So much, so much. Um, I have to cut it down, but I love the idea of thinking about scenes. And, you know, we talked about theater and her background in it, which we've talked about with a couple other copywriters, but that idea of moving the scene forward and thinking about how we move sales arguments forward. How do we move our communication forward and really build on the previous message so that it all makes sense and you're working towards one end goal. It makes sense to me, but I know how many times I've written emails that aren't building on an argument. They're just kind of like one-off emails that I string together. And so it's just a really good reminder that we are always building a sales argument and need to think holistically and a bigger picture about the funnels that we're building and the communication that we're creating. 
Yeah, I like the idea, the words that Caitlin used were super objective. I really like that as a term and thinking about, okay, what does my reader want and how do they get it? And then pretty much everything else uh, doesn't matter. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have a story or that we're not sharing things that make the email interesting. But like Caitlin pointed out, if anything distracts from what do they want and how do they get it, you really do need to cut it out. Sometimes that is the story. Sometimes that is the funny line, uh, the the witty uh, observation or whatever. And it, it goes back to uh, the rule of one, right? So we have, you know, with every email or every sales page or even a homepage, really, there's one purpose. You're writing to one audience with one action that you want them to take. And the more we keep that in mind, the more our copy serves the purpose that, you know, that super objective that uh, a reader has. Yeah. And then, and we also talked a lot about uh, burnout and building confidence and resilience. I personally appreciated that part of the conversation probably more than anything because uh, Caitlin was so honest with us and was not afraid to talk about the parts of her business that maybe she, you know, are less glamorous and, um, and we really went there. And so I appreciated that part of the conversation and just talking about being comfortable with getting uncomfortable and reminding yourself that you've done this before, especially with writing, like staring at the blank page, um, facing that huge project that you've been procrastinating on and just reminding ourselves that I've done this before. I can do it again. And building that confidence muscle, from the repetition. Yeah. Uh, and paired along with that, you know, burnout discussion is that idea that things work until they don't work. And, you know, sometimes, you know, your, your program, your product, your service, it serves your business and then it stops or, you know, some of your personal habits work for you and then they don't. And burnout is part of that, you know, as you do things over and over and over, or, uh, you know, when we're not exploring new things, burnout, is oftentimes a result of that. And so just thinking about, okay, what in my business is no longer serving me? You know, is it, is it a habit? Is it a process? Is it the kind of clients that I'm working with? Is it my niche? Is it the deliverables that I work on? And what do I need to change in order for that to be better? You know, maybe I need to raise my prices. Maybe I need to stop working on uh, blog posts or content and move into sales copy. Or maybe I'm not good at sales copy and I actually want to do more long form thought leadership type copy. All of those questions are good for asking because things work until they don't. And once they stop, we need to you know make a decision to do something differently. And if we don't, that's when burnout starts to happen. Yeah, and just being okay with with letting go and and stopping and not feeling like it's a failure. Just it, it's no longer working, and that's okay. And I know sometimes to me that feels like a failure, so I'll push through it. But um, it's okay to just pivot from there. We also talked briefly about her experience working for a startup and working for a founder that dreams big and has a grand vision. And I related to that in the conversation, but I think there's a really interesting juxtaposition between having this amazing entrepreneurial vision that many of us have um, and feeling like I can do anything, I can do whatever I want. And that's really powerful. And sometimes we need to channel that energy and feel like anything is possible. But then in parallel, we also need to think about, you know, how painful is it? What are the negative effects of doing whatever we want or pushing too hard or too fast? And who are we affecting on the way up um, on our team or our partners, our relationships and ourselves, our own health? And, you know, not just having that kind of fun 
visionary entrepreneur hat on at all times and at all at all costs just to feel like we can do whatever we want and anything is possible if we're hurting ourselves and we're hurting other people. Yeah, the idea of throwing out all the rules, you know, as I was pondering that and, and thinking a little bit about it, I was like, is there really a place for that as freelancers? Because there are a lot of structures around the way that we find clients, work with clients, deliver for our clients. Uh, and and so, you know, the first thought is, well, actually, we can't really throw out all of the rules, but uh, you can take a step back and think, okay, but I can do things my way, right? I can figure out my best approach or uh, do it my way. And so I really did appreciate that conversation as well. And it, and it also talks to the idea that, yes, you can do anything, but you can't do everything. And, and you know, and th that's just life. You know, there's no way that everybody can be everything. Uh, and most, you know, we, most of us can be anything, but we can't be everything. And this goes to time balance, you know, it, you know, if we want to be show up as a really good parent, uh, we may not be able to show up the same way in our businesses or as friends or, you know, all of the different roles that we have. Uh, we're just not going to be great at everything. And so figuring out what are those parts where I actually am going to show up and be great, you know, maybe there's two or three. And then just knowing that, uh, yeah, some of that other stuff isn't going to be uh, as awesome all of the time. And that's that idea that, you know, we can be all the things. That's one of those rules that I'm throwing out the door. Yeah, I am definitely not a great friend at this at this stage of my life. I have been a good friend in many stages of my life, but at this stage, I, that is one of the things that I just can't do. <laughs> so I've like let go of the guilt of that, knowing that I can come back around to it at some point. And there are many other things that I am not doing well, and um, and I'm okay with that for the most part right now. Yeah, absolutely. I. I feel like I'm maybe the same. There's a few <laughs> roles where I try to be good, you know, good, a good husband, a good dad, a good business owner, hopefully a good teacher when it comes to things like the podcast and our programs and all of that. But, uh, you know, I don't call my friends to go bike riding all that often anymore. Or, you know, there's a lot of things I've, I've dropped. And at, at some point, I'm going to come back to that. I, I will be a good friend again. Uh, I just hope my friends will still be there when I'm ready to, to do well, that. That's, yeah, that's like a whole other conversation too. Um, yes. And I just, again, want to thank, we're not even done with this conversation, but I do want to thank Caitlin for this this part of the conversation where she was just willing to go there with us. Like that's what makes this podcast so enjoyable to me and hopefully to the people listening it, to it because of that transparency. And so uh, I just want to thank her again and again. Yeah. She, I mean, she said she didn't really want to go there. We asked the questions and she was very generous in answering this question. So I agree. Thanks, Caitlin, for being so open. All right. Let's go back to our interview because we are not done with Caitlin. And we're going to talk a little bit about what's happening in the course creator world that I'm also a part of and how copywriters can tap into that niche if they're interested. Okay, so I want to shift away a little bit from the negative. <laughs> let's let's go back to talking about the course creator world. And you know, as you launch into the niche, you're working with clients in that niche. You've got a lot of experience there. Let's just talk about where that is today. Is it still a good niche for copywriters? Is you know our sales like we were talking before we got on the podcast, and we're hearing from a lot of people that program sales are down a bit because the economy's just been a little weird. Tell us about what you're seeing happening there now. 
Yeah. Like you're very true to say like, you know, people have less expendable income. They're being more careful with like where we are in the world today with what's everything that's going on. Um, I still think it is a good niche to get into. I don't think it's going anywhere. It is still expanding. And the reason I love the niche for copywriters is your client pool is global. And so even if any of them are experiencing dips, well, this is going to get into actually a second point, but the, the client pool is global. So you could be sending out 50 cold pitches, 100 cold pitches, 200. You can be working with anyone in Canada, the UK, New Zealand, Australia. So your opp opportunity is just so much wider to get a client. And when it comes to getting your first client, it's all about playing the numbers game. You know, after a no, 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 not interested, ghost, 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 like you've got to hit a yes at some point. So because the pool, even though they may be experiencing, course creators may be experiencing a dip right now with what's going on in the economy, the pool is still huge. And so that's one good thing for uh, copywriters for focusing on this sort of niche. Um, and the ones who are experiencing a dip, there are so many who have been around for more than a decade at this point, or even five, six years who are well-established, where their audience is so big, their email list is so big that even if there is a dip in sales, they're making decent money. And I know it's going to be different for every single person. I'm not at the helm right now of a seven-figure business owner, so I can't talk on behalf of my seven-figure clients that I used to write for in what exactly they're seeing, but they're not all ditching their copywriters. And there's still just so many of them and so many that have done so well up to this point. And the industry rates that they're paying copywriters still remain the same. And it's still very much a win-win. The copywriter gets a healthy rate and the course creator is marketing to so many people that during that, their launch, they're making a decent amount of money. Yes, it might look a little different right now. Um, but I also think, you know, it could recover. Like we've been through these in the past. We've been through recessions in the past. Like overall in 10 years, like are we, you know, do we have faith in the economy that it will go up in the American economy too? I know we're also talking about course creators are all over the world, but in the American economy, like do we have faith that it can, you know, go back up? Yeah, and there's also a, a good amount of education and awareness in the space where they understand the value of copywriting in a way that other spaces don't always understand the value. So they get, if I'm launching this offer, I understand the return over the next three years from this one asset and, you know, this one deliverable that this copywriter is writing for me. And so I think that's nice. It's already baked into our space just because we are talking about it. We're all in similar trainings. And so that's, it's another benefit of working in the space. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing that I tell people a lot. It's like the ROI is so great. And that is why the industry standard for what they're going to pay a copywriter could be something like $2,500 for 10 emails, because those 10 emails in that one week could make this course creator 20,000 on the low end, 100K on the higher end, and then they can use them over and over. So yeah, there's no convincing too with the rates that, the co that a copywriter is paid. 
in this space. You're not like, well, here's why I'm worth it. And here's my experience. You're not relying on your own experience necessary. Of course, you have to have some. Of course, you have to have education. But it's also like how many people on your email list? Like there's 100,000. Great. 50,000. Great. Here's what we can expect as a return. Mm -hmm. So paying someone 2,500 for 10 emails is a no-brainer. It's industry standard. It's win-win. Yeah. And I want to ask you about confidence because I know while we're talking about course creators and the space and how it's trickier right now across the board, so many copywriters we talk to are struggling with their own sense of confidence because some of them did really well at the end of the last year, you know, making 10K a month, more than that, and are struggling now just to get a client. Uh, mm -hmm. So how do you think about confidence and what would you suggest to that copywriter that's struggling? Yeah. So I'm big on, I do love positive psychology. And I, at the same time, I never want to negate any negative experience someone's having or stress or negative emotions. Like those can absolutely be there, like in that stressful moment of, whoa, things have changed with my income. Um, even this happened one of my students today. She's also a VA. Both of her VA clients dropped her, like not for anything she was doing. They were just making significant changes in, in their business. And so she is not feeling good this morning. And she's like, wow, I've been so secure for so long. Now suddenly I'm kind of like left with nothing. I'm very, very scared right now. But I am a big believer of like, whether it's fear or whether it's lack of confidence, whatever you can control, why not control it if you can? And sometimes that's just where our thoughts go. So one principle that helped me a lot as I was getting my footing in the freelance world and that I pass on to a lot of my students is what are you giving airtime? And when the stress or this person's going to say no or why even bother or the copywriting world is saturated or no one's hiring, those negative thoughts are there. Can we just not give them airtime? Like they can exist like we can have them maybe have them separately for five minutes in the bathroom, but then decide is that helping me? Is that serving me? Because it is very real. If you're having negative emotions over and over, negative thoughts, they are carving belief systems in your brain. In our brains have neuroplasticity. We can change it, but it takes repetition. So if I can just let the negative thoughts have less airtime and either switch to a positive one or just a neutral run if that's too big an ask. Sometimes when you're feeling like crap, you can't be like, no, I'm the best comp copywriter in the world. <laughs> Everyone's going to say yes. Like that's too big of a reach. But can we at least like in that moment not let those negative thoughts have airtime and decrease the amount of airtime that the negative thoughts get? Because again, like if I can just put anything in my corner, if I can just stack the cards in my favor, card by card, like not letting negative thoughts run the show is probably going to get me a better result. So that's one thing, not letting those negative thoughts have airtime, not taking on other people's decisions. So for example, so many people are like, ah, they're going to say no. I'm like spending so much time looking at this course creator. They wouldn't hire me for X and Y reasons, maybe because I don't have experience or whatever. That is not up to you. Like you can just cut this whole stressful back and forth in your brain off so quickly 
by just remembering my job is to send out this cold pitch or do whatever action is being asked of me. And their job is to decide what's going on in their world and who they are, they're going to hire. But it's like that drama we create in our heads too before we take an action towards something um, that we can just kind of cut. And so that's another thing. And then to be your number one cheerleader, another card stuck, stacked in your deck. You might not believe it. You might not think you're the best person in the world, but why not just like if someone has to believe in you first, why not be the one to do that and lead that charge? Yeah, all really good advice. So going back to not letting negative thoughts have airtime. One of the negative thoughts right now that a lot of copywriters are giving a lot of airtime to is AI, the the threat that they feel to their business. And it, in one case, you say, well, yeah, don't worry about it. But this is a, this is a real threat that maybe people should be worried about or, or you know, need to be looking at in certain ways. What are your thoughts about AI, how it's changing what we do, and should copywriters be worried about it? Uh, you know, what, what do you think? Yeah, it's a hard conversation. I believe, and again, like we're all just like having thoughts and opinions here. Nothing is fact. But I feel like AI is something that we're just going to evolve with. And in the same way, like what we're doing today, whether it's our jobs or how we operate on a day to day basis, like I never thought I could pick up my phone and have facial recognition, just open up my phone. Like, not that that was ever vying for our jobs, but I believe that we will evolve with AI. And maybe a copywriter's role might change, but I don't think it'll go away completely. Or maybe, I mean, in some world, maybe it could evolve so, so very differently where we do go in a whole different direction and the way copy comes together for an online business is so extremely different than anything we can picture. Who knows? That could happen. And there could be no copywriters like writing behind their desk. That could happen. But I don't think we're just going to be fallen to the wayside. Like something else is going to open up in this new world that maybe is AI centric, but where we're going to fit in. I, I think somehow we're going to evolve. I mean, that's a very extreme case. Like I know for now too, like I know there are legal issues. One of my past clients, she's an attorney turned entrepreneur and she's like, how is this legal? I'm sure hey, it, it's AI though. It's the, maybe they'll catch up, but right now it's grabbing, you know, copy from all over the internet. Like who knows if it's being used appropriately in this, whatever it is that AI kind of spits out. But I think there are ways and kind of like the workshop that you guys hosted not long ago. It's like, how can you use it as a tool as a copywriter? I think it can be something that a copywriter can become very good at and use it to enhance what they're currently doing for clients. So I think we, whatever it is, we can't resist it. We've got to work with it. So going back to course creators and your clients, you've mentioned that you've worked with seven-figure business owners. Um, I'm sure some of our the copywriters listening are like, well, I would like to work with a seven-figure business owner at that level, at that stage. Uh, how do I do it? Do you have advice for me? So, you know, yeah, they're, they're just business owners like all of us. They're humans. So there's definitely some of that. But also probably the way you speak to them is slightly different, the way you operate with them is different. So do you have any advice around working with that level of entrepreneur? Yeah. I mean, I always loved that because sometimes they would just kind of have 
their stuff together a little bit better and there was less handholding and they kind of knew what was going on. They just need X number of emails for this promo. So don't have resistance to it. Um, know that it might end up being an even smoother journey than working with someone who's maybe more at the start of their business owner, where there's more handholding, where things are more likely, a launch is more likely to flop, and that could have nothing to do with your copy. So don't think that your copy needs to be the most amazing thing. You do need to have education to write for seven-figure online business owners. You can't go in there and fake it till you make it. You got to know what you're doing. That's just not fair for anyone if you're charging. Um, but you know, relax a little in that their numbers of their email list is probably going to be bigger. So you're probably going to have like your chances of having a good result tied to the copy that you write for them is probably going to be greater. So get excited about that rather than intimidated. There's actually more pressure on the ones who are just starting out. Some of them, it's not even right for them to hire a copywriter. They should be writing their own stuff. Um, so, so let this be something that you're attracted to. Go after them a little bit earlier than you think you should or you think that you have earned it. We always feel like whatever our next step is too out of reach for us, but it should always feel a little uncomfortable. And that's where you're going to stretch and that's where you're going to grow. Like put on the shoes that are a little bit bigger than you. You will grow into them. And that is where you're going to learn the most, get the most experience, get the most confidence. Like, So go for it a little bit earlier. But do handle them with care. Be on top of your crap. Like, Don't be like I was in my days of burnout. <laughs> and um, you know, go in there. Don't be afraid to take charge. Treat yourself as an equal. They don't want someone who they have to micromanage. They want someone coming in and saying, hey, here's the date that our project is starting, I assign them dates for everything. They want to be put on timelines. They have too much going on. So, hey, here's where our, our kickoff call can happen on this Monday or Tuesday, the 30th or 31st. Like, just go ahead and, you know, usually it's their assistant booking it. Um, you know, that, that has a date. This project, when you're sending in your first draft, can you please get me, uh, you know, your edits over to me by this date? I have this next date blocked out to re review and turn around your second draft. Like it's just assigning, assigning, assigning. Don't be afraid to take charge, to take lead, to push back on the reasons why, like if they do question your choices, your creative or your strategic copywriting choices, like, don't just be like, okay, yes, it's changed, it's changed. Like, they're not going to trust you. They want someone to come in with expertise who can just be like, actually, we can absolutely go in that direction. Here's what it might look like. But I don't suggest we do because here's the thought behind why this email was written in this way. So don't be afraid to take on that leader approach. They will feel safer with you if you can take that on. They want that. They want that. So while we're talking about big ticket clients, uh, I kind of want to look at the other side. You know, let's say that I am that copywriter that wants to attract them. How do I put together that package or that pitch or whatever it is that's going to attract, you know, that larger client to come to me as opposed to me having to go out and pitch them over and over in order to find somebody who's got space to say yes? Yeah. So I teach my students to put together their four P's. And that's presence, portfolio, pitch plan, pricing menu. But essentially, 
like you want to pitch them with a specific project. So either people pitch with something general, like, hey, do you, are you looking for a copywriter? Might be in more words than just that. And then they riff off of, you know, a bunch of their experience or something like that. But we want to plant a seed of what is an exact project that you could do for this person. Do they have an evergreen sequence that you can tell, you can detect from their website is probably running because it looks like they've got a free class that you can opt into at any moment. I can tell, I can watch this instantly. I can watch it in the next 12 hours. I know that they've got an automated course selling. What is an idea that I can pitch to them that's specific? Oh, maybe a flash sale. And then why would they want that? Okay, because maybe it'll be a cash injection during this month. Do they want a cash injection for the next quarter? And then also think like, what are their objections going to be against you pitching them an idea like that? They might think like, think, what are they thinking as they're reading your pitch? Oh gosh, I don't want to run another promotion. So how are we going to bust that objection in the pitch? Maybe reminding them, and hey, this will be an email only promotion where I just write your emails for three or five days. We can discuss that. Um, and this will just get, you know, some extra course sales for the next three to five days, wherever we decide this is going to happen. Um, some extra course sales into, you know, your revenue for, for that month. So pitch them a specific project, because even if they don't want that idea, they're seeing that you think strategically, that you could potentially think for them. And if they don't want that idea, maybe another idea is sparked. Oh, I don't want to do a flash sale, but you know what? I have needed someone to revamp X, Y, and Z. So now they're going to trust you because you've sort of earned, you know, some, I don't know, notches on your belt or whatever it is. You've like shown you're a little bit smart. So that's going to help out. So having a pitch plan that includes a pitch that's, that pitches something specific is like your first thing that's going to be helpful. And then the next thing is just having one thing that's flashy and professional and sells them on you. So for my copywriters, I try to have them put together a really nice pricing menu that has like, so we do less of like, you know, a package and more so project, we're project oriented. Like here's what a sales sequence is going to cost. Here's what a welcome sequence is going to cost. And we just assign prices to it. But their pricing menu strategically leads, and this is the thing that if someone says, hey, I'm interested, this is the thing that they send over next to be like, yeah, here's my pricing. So it gives them what they want. This person's like, hey, I need a little more information. What are your prices? So it has their pricing menu on it, but it strategically leads in the beginning, pitching them kind of, or like highlighting what it would be like to work with them for the entire launch. So even if someone wants to, you know, is interested in having you write a sales page for them, this pricing menu starts with, hey, we're going to get to everything that you're asking about. We can work through whatever project, you know, makes sense for your business at this time. But I'm also going to just like bring you a little bit into behind the scenes of what it would be like if we did what I'm, you know, most famous for, which is my launch package. And it brings you through the whole timeline, what the process looks like for them. So Having something like that in your back pocket too is also going to be helpful that leaves them not asking or wondering any questions about what it's like working with you that highlights a major thing that you want them to book. And that's really professional. So they're like pre-sold on you by the time they're through looking at your pricing menu. So that's another thing to kind of have in your back pocket for when you're going after 
these folks. And then the third thing, presence. So we did pricing menu, pitch plan. The third thing is presence is definitely get on Instagram. Even if it's day one, even if you're just thinking and toying with becoming a copywriter. A lot of online course creators, I would argue almost almost all of them, are hanging out on Instagram, making relationships and marketing themselves. So if you're on there, it gives your course creator prospect who say you're cold pitching them a place to land when they go off and Google you. Hey, who is this Kira Hug who just like cold pitched me? And then they're going to Google you and maybe they find your website, but maybe they also find your Instagram. And that's where they can connect with you as a warm, fleshy human via a Reels video or something like that. And they just want to see, oh, this person is active. They are serious about being a copywriter. They've got a whole Instagram presence about it. Like they're for real. So you kind of want that to, to back you up. Also, if you don't have a website just yet, having this Instagram presence and having a pricing menu paired together, if they see those two things it's almost like, you don't even know I have a website, but I have this attractive thing and this other attractive thing that almost tricks people into thinking you have a website, but some sort of presence in that way. Yeah, I love I love that approach. And we talk a lot about pitching too, but I think what you're talking about with speaking to hesitations makes a lot of sense in the pitch just to think through, okay, I'm pitching this, but what will be their objection and how can I tackle that? in this initial email. I think that's really smart. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to get back to, I feel like the through, the through line for me, Rob probably has a different through line, but for me, it's about decisiveness. I feel like that's come up multiple times in this conversation. I'm just curious if there has been a recent moment or maybe the most recent moment where you have had that decisive moment and you've been like, okay, this is it. This is what we're going to do next. For my business or for anything in general? Well, I want both. I want both. But whatever you're Whatever's most interesting. Hmm, okay. Let me think of which one is going to be most interesting. Or all of them. All of the moments. <laughs> so, I mean, the first one that cropped into my mind was the time in my business where I just let go all of my copywriting clients. And this was over a year ago now. And it was because, and I'm not saying I suggest this for everyone. But I was trying so hard to start being seen as a copywriting mentor. And I wanted to get my Copywriter Igniter course done. And I wanted to properly launch it rather than just kind of working with beta clients behind the scenes who were asking me. Like, I wanted that to be my full identity. But I was still hanging on to my copywriting clients. I was trying to do parallel effort where I already had too much work trying to put, pour this other work on it. So I had a decisive moment where I was like, I have tried to launch this and failed and tried to launch this and failed meeting the course. And I can't do it because of all my client work. And this has been happening now for like over a year. I am not going to do this North Star dream of mine <laughs> unless I just make a decision here and go all in. Again, I don't recommend this advice to everybody because it can backfire. It can be not the right thing for your situation. Like, Don't just take advice from anything, from a podcast, from anything. Like, No blanket statements here. But that for me at the time was what I did need to do and make that decision of pulling the plug, like you know, giving my clients a heads up. This is going to be our last day. Here are some referrals I can refer you out to, but my business is really just fully going into this mentorship, 
direction, this copywriter igniter direction. So that was a big, big place of decisiveness. And I wasn't sure. And that magic moment saying now is the time never came. So I had to make the decision there. So that was one. Um, let me think if there have been some others. Give us, give us another one. Okay. That was a good one. <laughs> I'm just greedy. I want more. Oh, no. I, I like it. I like it. I like it. Um, let's see. Gosh. Okay. So this would happen a lot of times in day-to-day -day life writing for clients is the decisiveness. You know, we copywriters, we use a lot of swipe files, um, a lot of templates or, you know, trainings that are going to help guide our writing. Having the decisive moment to stop looking through your swipe files or to stop looking at the past emails that you wrote for other clients for your inspiration and just pick one <laughs> so you can start writing. Um, that happened to me so often. It happens with my students. I'm like, just pick one and go with it. Um, same thing with voice of customer data. I do believe that when you're doing your voice of customer data research and all like distilling your must know messaging and figuring out your sales argument, that takes a lot of time and it should take a lot of time. But if you're getting that itch where it's a writing day, you've done a lot of work up front in terms of your messaging, your sales conversation, your sales arguments, and you're feeling that little itch, that niggle of like, I think I do just need to start writing, but I can't stop rereading things and combing through more, re-listening to other interviews. Like there's got to be a decisiveness there too, where though you let that upfront research period be long, it needs to be long. You also need to cut it off and start writing at some point and just trust yourself that this avatar is so deeply into you. Their pains and their desires and the messaging is like so deeply into you. Like it is there, start writing. <laughs> Granted, everyone's process is different, so some people might not resonate with that. But for the ones who do, there needs to be decisiveness. I'm just going to start doing this. Um, so that has been one in past writing things and getting my workday started these days. <laughs> like I love my slow mornings. I'm so lucky to have slow mornings. I have a dog. We go out to the dog park. I make my second cup of coffee when I'm back. Like it's very easy to like, you know, sit around in my slow morning, but I need to, if I'm going to get what I want to get out of my day done, I need to have that decisive moment where I say, okay, even though I feel like I'm not ready, I haven't talked out, out loud to myself like I like to do in the morning. <laughs> my morning routine's not done, but it's gone long enough. I need the decisiveness of just taking the action to put my butt in the seat and open my, my laptop and just start working on something. So that's another recent decisiveness moment that has happened. It's all good stuff. Okay, my final question for you, Caitlin, is what are you most excited about? Uh, I am always most excited about my students. Um, I feel so privileged and lucky to have been able to cut off my copywriting clients and focus solely on copywriter igniter students. So I love just diving into my Facebook group and answering their questions every day and helping other people get a slice of this pie that is so good of being a freelance copywriter. So helping them do that is what really gets me going these days. And I can totally relate to that. We feel the exact same way, you know, when people are joining our programs, uh, it's, it's an amazing to watch people change and to be able to have that impact in their lives for sure. Yeah. 
So if somebody wants to connect with you, get on your email list, find out more about Copywriter Igniter the next round, whenever, where should they go? Yeah. So they should go to caitlinwrites.com backslash TCC if you're listening to this podcast episode. So Caitlin Wrights is K-A-T-E-L-Y-N-W-R-I-T-E-S.com backslash TCC. I do a free class monthly, every single month. So that page will have you know, the most recent class or the upcoming class on there. And it's called Five Steps to Becoming a $2,500 per project copywriter, writing launch copy for course creators. And so it'll give you all the ins and outs of this industry that I speak so highly of. And it's one of those classes where I also want you to walk away with some quick wins, not just learn the what, but not how. So there's some awesome cold pitch stuff in there. We go through what their launch promo calendar looks like. Um, so yeah, so that's the best place to go. I am also on Instagram. I am Caitlin Collins. That's always a fun time. So if you want to connect with me there, go do it. I would love to have you. Amazing. Thank you so much for jumping in with this. This has been a great, great discussion. Awesome. Thank you. I enjoyed it. That's the end of our interview with Caitlin Collins. Before we go, Rob and I want to touch on a couple more things that stood out to us. And Rob, why don't you kick it off? What stood out to you? Well, let's let's jump to that first idea that we talked about in this part of the episode, which is working with course creators. And obviously, Caitlin spelled out some of the real advantages, you know, why that's such a great niche. You know, it's easy to find and connect with these people. There are a lot of them out there. They all need copywriters, which is good. Um, but, I, but I also want to point out um, there are, there's a little bit of a, a, a difficulty with that as well. And that is that there are a lot of copywriters that want to work in that niche. And so there is some competition there. And so if you, uh, you know, are interested in working with course creators, but you can't get traction there, or maybe you're not interested in that at all, you could look at other niches, boring niches, sometimes where you are the only copywriter pitching, and that may be a better path to success. And I'm, I'm not crossing out or downplaying anything that Caitlin shared, because I do think that the course creator niche is a very good one, and it is high demand and um, has you know good money in it. But you know, if if uh, if you want to be the only copywriter pitching, you know, look into something that's totally untalked about, you know, and these are not necessarily great ideas, but you know, like what if you were the only copywriter talking about refrigeration or trucking or cabinet makers or home inspections, like some of that, you know, I, I see you smiling as we talk about it, Kira, like I, I say those things and I'm like, yeah, those don't sound like great niches to that I'd be really interested in, but you can build a really strong business being the only copywriter writing in whatever that boring niche is. And so I'm just throwing that out there as an additional idea to what Caitlin was sharing. Yeah. And I'm not judging any of those spaces. I mean, refrigeration, maybe I'm judging that a little bit. Like, I, I don't know if, if that's If you were the refrigerator copywriter, though, who knows? Maybe, maybe there's millions there's, of dollars there. Who knows? There's, I would do it just to have branded photos of me in a refrigerator. But um, yeah, I mean, it's... If you are going, if you want to get into the course space, like as of August 2023, I mean, from everything, the people I've talked to, um, it's it's doing really well across the board. I think there are a lot of business owners who have done well over the last few years, especially over the pandemic, and grew really fast. I think uh, many of them have plateaued and are now slowing down enough to 
look at their copy assets and actually want to revisit them and optimize them. So I think there's a really good opportunity for optimization in the core space where you can come in and be even more niched than saying I work in the course creator space. I would say I optimize evergreen email sequences that maybe were running well in 2021, 2022, but have slowed down and are not converting as well in 2023. And that's like, that's my package. That's what I do. I look at them and I optimize them and we track them. And so I think there's an opportunity to just really specialize in the course space rather than being a generalist in the course space. If you want to get into that space and you've been struggling to tap into it. Yeah, there. I mean, there are so many ways to serve that niche, and in some ways, it's not even a niche because courses are specific to niches, right? So it's more of a deliverable and the thing that you do, and you can do it across a lot of niches. And yeah, there is high demand. There's a lot to be done there, uh, but it is not the only option we have. Yeah, and I think we call it a niche because it is like it's it's a bubble, right? It's like there's a culture to it. There's a language people understand. you know, the concepts there and, and they're already aware of copywriters and what we do. So there's an ease to it. And um, there's just kind of a shared language in that space that you can tap into if you want to jump into it. Yeah, I should have been more clear. I'm, uh, I was sort of doing the traditional niches industry. Of course, there are other ways to niche and launch copy like is often used in uh, in the course space is that totally viable niche. So I was I was imprecise with my language. Uh, another thing that we were talking about that I really appreciate is, is Caitlin was talking about working with larger businesses. So this is also applicable to that core space. But um, she encouraged us, and I 100% endorse this, is to take on projects that sometimes make you feel uncomfortable. You know, oftentimes we wait until we feel like we've got the confidence or the ability or the the experience to take that stuff on. But it, it the reality is that you will never have the experience of taking on a larger project until you do it. And so pulling on those slightly too big shoes or taking on a project that like, wow, you know, this is really going to stretch me, but you know, I, I know I can do 70% of it. That last 30% I'll figure out along the way. I think we should all be looking at our, our career growth in the same way. And, you know, we hear this when people, you know, jump into the think tank a lot. It's the, I didn't think I was ready or I wasn't sure I could afford it. Um, but the changes that I made over the first three, four or five months, you know, it pays off or I, you know, I started to do things in different ways. Uh, and so sometimes it's okay to jump before, in fact, often we should be jumping before we think we're ready. Yeah. And I feel uncomfortable and intimidated anytime I take a new project, whether that's like, doing something new in the copywriter club, or if it's working with a new client um, that I've never worked with on a project that I've done before, but not with that client, I always, I always feel that way. So I think part of it is just, it doesn't really go away for most of us and we will always feel that way. So we may as well embrace it. You and I love a good framework and uh, Caitlin shared her four P's framework. It's kind of interesting because marketing for five decades has had what, you know, has been called the four P's of marketing. And those four P's are product, price, place, and promotion. And Caitlin's four P's are a little bit different, although they kind of line up with with that, you know, um, old fashioned 
framework. But just thinking about how you're showing up, are you in the right places where people can find you, having that work ready, your portfolio, so that you can share and talk about the things that you do and how you might be able to apply that to a new client, knowing what you're going to do when you pitch and having a plan for that. So whether that's working off of a minimum viable pitch or what you know we like to call the GOAT pitch, uh, the things that we teach in the P7 client attraction system, um, having that plan ready to go and executing on that. And then, of course, having a menu of prices is a great idea, a menu of ways that clients can work with you so that it's not necessarily all in or uh, just one option. Um, a, a good framework for thinking about working with any client. Yeah. And I like what she said about pitching it with a specific project and tackling hesitations in your pitches, uh, which uh I think many of us miss that opportunity to just speak to the hesitation directly, and that could go a really long way in your pitching process. Finally, at least finally for me, you know, we talked about this a little bit in the introduction to this episode, but you mentioned that decisiveness was the thread that you felt was going through this entire episode. And I agree a hundred percent, you know, having these moments like Caitlin talked about, you know, where it's like, okay, now's the moment I'm sitting down and I'm starting work, or this is the thing that I'm going to do next. Like being decisive in our business. Um, I've been thinking a lot about procrastination and, uh, you know, like overcoming that, thinking about ways around that. And I think this is the flip side of that is thinking through how it not, not, um, you know, how do I push things off, but how am I more decisive in taking action and being, um, just, just having a better plan and being ready to do stuff. I appreciate how much Caitlin brings to that discussion and it allows her to do that work, you know, not doing eight or 10 or 12 hours a day, but in four or five, six hours instead. Yeah, it's something I'm focused on uh, in my own uh, business and life is just being more intentional and making those decisions. Even if the decision is to delay something, it could be to delay something. It could be, okay, this actually isn't important for me to make this decision right now. So I'm going to schedule this decision for a month from now. And that's my decision for today to actually delay the decision because it's not as important for me to make it right now. But just that action and intention uh, is something that I think, you know, is often missing for me. And I don't like being in the, you know, shades of gray where I'm like, I, what's happening? This is too fuzzy. Like I really need to have that direction and know what's happening to feel comfortable. So glad that was the theme of the episode. Um, I would just add before we wrap that we touched on AI, which, you know, I always am happy when we can touch on AI in any of these interviews and conversations and if you want to talk more about AI or learn more about AI, we are about to interview a whole bunch of new guests for our AI for Creative Entrepreneurs podcast. And so there are a bunch of episodes that will be coming out over the next few months with some incredible guests. Um, so you can check that out at AIforcreativeentrepreneurs.com. We want to thank Caitlin Collins for joining us to chat about her journey and how she's been able to build and grow and pivot her business. If you want to connect with Caitlin, you can find her at www.caitlinwrites.com. Of course, we will link to that in the show notes. And as a reminder, the Copywriter Accelerator opened its doors to early birds this week. 
August 14th through the 18th. It's just five days. So if you're ready to take a strategic approach to building a strong foundation for your business by finding your ideal clients, creating products and services that solve their problems, pricing those products so clients want to buy them, and building your authority and credibility so clients come to you. A lot of the things we talked about in this episode with Caitlin, jump over to copywriteraccelerator.com and we'll send you more information about the program. We'll also link to that in the show notes. And that is the end of this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. The intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. The outro was composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muntner. If you've enjoyed this episode, which I hope you did, I enjoyed it, please visit Apple Podcasts to leave your review of the show. And again, be sure to check out our other podcasts all about what's happening in AI uh, and how copywriters and creatives are using it in different ways, the good and the bad of what's happening in AI. And you can check that out at AIforcreativeentrepreneurs.com as well as on YouTube. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Copywriters coming together to help the world write.